Hello, Internet, and welcome to episode 70 of Ancient Ways for Modern Days. My name is Andrew, and joined with me are my co-hosts, Mr. Mike Freeman and Mr. Stephen Klukas. Boys, how you doing today? Hey, I'm doing okay. Stephen here. This has been a... Uh... It's been an interesting week for me. I'm actually freshly over yet another cold, so I'm feeling great now. You know what I've loved about you being a dad? You getting sick so much. All it, the time. It makes me appreciate my single life <laughs> and how healthy I feel, <laughs> yeah. minus my back stuff. Yeah, your back stuff. <laughs> oh, man. Mike, how you doing, man? I'm great, man. I, uh, <clears throat> I'm not sick. I'm not recovering from uh, being sick and uh, excited for this podcast. It's a... We just got through the big windstorm that was that came through this last weekend, and uh, yeah, it was called the the bomb cyclone or whatever. I, I haven't heard that. Oh, okay, that's that's what it was reported as, and I saw that it hit California, but we got like windstorms up here yeah. in the northwest. Yeah, and it was uh, it was loud at our house for a couple of nights. I actually didn't sleep well during those few nights, but uh, branches everywhere and pretty honestly pretty fun to watch the the trees and the wind and whatnot it kind of exciting you know what held up super well in that windstorm what my new back fence Ooh. yeah man like last year i was so concerned at every windstorm that my fence was going to fall over but no this year that thing was solid that's the fence you just built with your father right well, yeah that's and our cool. very own dan oh yeah, so, yeah 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 shout out to castle industries boom <laughs> product placement right yeah. someday we'll be sponsored so, hey, you know, as uh, responsible homeowners, do you guys ever find yourself being concerned about the trees that surround your house? All the time. Okay. I legitimately have a couple of trees, like tall trees that, that are around the house I'm in. And sometimes I'm like, if there was a strong enough windstorm, would this fall on the house and kill one of us? We've got a... Uh, so last year, we had a tree fall and it crushed the trampoline. Oh, yeah. So it was in November this last year that it fell, so almost a year ago, and it crushed the trampoline that we had got for kids of the Christmas before that, and so heartache after heartache. But uh, but there's a few others just like that right where it is, and one of those trees has a giant Widowmaker just sitting in it. Oh, man. And so we, uh, I, I just I, I look at that thing all the time, and it's incredibly high up, and I uh, pr- pray for that thing. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that makes me feel better because, honestly, I get pretty paranoid about the uh the trees that are around the place sometimes so what about you steven do you have trees around your place we have one left um okay. if you actually look in my front yard there are the uh tribute remains of two trees that had been taken out because of that very thing is the trees were too close to the house getting too tall um now they're sculptures of salmon so oh, oh okay yeah Ask me about that sometime. <laughs> well, I, I mean, we could ask you about that now, but maybe we'll save that for next week, <laughs> I guess. So anyway, guys, so, you know, at the beginning of every show, I'd like to do a little catch up to see what's going on in your guys' world, see what you're, you're thinking, you're reading, what you're doing with your life and stuff. What's, what's going on with you, Mike? What am I doing with my life? That's yeah. A, that's pretty quick. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, we had a great weekend. Um, I got to take my wife out. We went on a date. Was it your anniversary? No. Oh, I thought I saw that. Okay. Maybe. No, it is not. It, there, there has been someone who's gone through our photos on Facebook and liked a bunch from previous years. Oh, okay. And so there's a lot of like fresh like comments on photos okay. because you okay. know how that works. Mm-hmm. Out. But uh, we went and uh, went to an Italian restaurant in Olympia, had a, a really great meal, watched the movie Snake Eyes and was, um, I cried because it was so, so far disheartening for me. Uh, Mike, you, you grew up just loving G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe right? was my thing, right? Okay, yeah. Absolutely. So, Comics, TV show, action figures, all of that. Yep. 
So were you excited when they announced like live action movies of G.I. I Joe? was thrilled. Are any of those movies living up to your expectations? They're hard to watch. <laughs> oh, man. I watch them. I enjoy the fact that they're on screen. But, you know, this... Uh, I, was, I don't know who I was talking to. Maybe it was you. I don't know. But uh, when you know the story, when you know the backstory, mm-hmm. when these characters have kind of like a legend around them, and then they just kind of throw all that away and then redo it completely mm-hmm. it just like uh all the the desire you had to see something on screen just it, it, it's kind yeah, of ruined like this one in particular mm-hmm. snake eyes his backstory is one of a hero right he mm-hmm. he saves uh storm shadow in the uh in vietnam war mm-hmm. and loses his ability to speak through that he's faces deformed all this stuff and then in the, mo- the movie he's a criminal Oh, and I haven't seen the movie he's yet. Kind of part of the underbelly of okay. the world, and and so it's just uh, you it just makes you sad. Uh, we watched it. It was, you know, I tried to kind of separate myself from my expectations and yeah. just enjoy it as, hey, these guys are doing kung fu and karate and mm-hmm. have swords, and it's kind of fun to watch. But story wise, it was sad. No, I get that. When you grow up with something that you love seeing in like in comic book form or cartoons or something like that, you do kind of imagine like. What would this look like in real life? And that's what mm-hmm. that's what live action is all about. Like all the Ninja Turtle movies, I love the original ones growing up, and then these Michael Bay ones are interesting and stuff. Yeah. So, so I get that. But Stephen, d- did you have a childhood? Do you uh, have any? No, actually, <laughs> I uh, spontaneously appeared on Earth at the age of twenty eight. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, my thing was X Men. What? Yeah. So I honestly didn't know that all the X Men movies from the very beginning of the live actions have have cons they've inspired rants of various degrees and lengths and passions yeah okay i did not know you were an x-men guy yeah yeah. uh, we got to talk at some point yeah so So who's your favorite x-men nightcrawler night i I love you would love nightcrawler i can see that okay andrew who's yours wagner dude i i was all about wolverine Wolverine i love wolverine and cyclops but i don't like cyclops as much now in the comic books because he turned into a pretty hardcore villain I don't know if you guys do. You guys read you, you read comics, right, Mike? You, I don't. I haven't kept not up anymore, on them. Dude. It's a couple it, of years, probably. Uh, it's been a little while. The X Men series has taken some wild turns from like what I grew up with in the '90s, in the extreme '90s. Uh, Cyclops has. It, it's so bad that they brought back. In, they use time travel to bring back classic Cyclops to fight modern day Cyclops. It's it's crazy. Comics, I love yes. it. But uh, didn't they do that exact same thing with Superman? They did the same thing also with uh, no, not Superman, but they did with Iron Man. Yeah, do you, you know that? And in, in, we're getting way off topic. We're way off topic. But in this is now day, a different podcast. Yeah. yeah. If, if you want to know more about this, I used to have a podcast <laughs> called No One Asked You. You can look it up and talk about comic books and movies. Did anyone ask him about plugging that? So, no. <laughs> we can talk about comics some other time. But uh, Stephen, what, dude, you have school stuff going on. Dude, I've I, I got so much school stuff. No, it's actually been very encouraging this week. I think I've finally nailed down the topic of my research paper for my New Testament class, and then this upcoming weekend, uh, so for for me, like two days from now, I'm doing my intro to ministry formation weekend. So get to talk about like my spiritual strengths and how to apply those to ministry. So yeah, so that's like an intensive, right? So yeah, you, you're going to sit in and on it for like four or five hours, actually longer than that. So it's. Thursday night, Mm -hmm. all day Friday, and Saturday morning. Yeah. And then I'll book it home Saturday and then come to services. And so that's going to be about you kind of 
putting some handles around who you are as a person, using some modern tools to, I guess, label uh, just attributes of yourself so you, you kind of understand yourself a little to bit more. To identify. Yeah. To, to kind of, or at least if I don't, if not understand myself, identify how I perceive myself. Mm-hmm. So okay. at the very least, it's it's getting a standpoint and then figuring out how that applies where God has me now. Because okay. two people doing the same ministry will approach it different ways. That, but yep, that doesn't yeah. mean that one is more suited for that ministry than the other. It just means that they're going to approach it differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's pretty cool. I When I was at Corbin, we had classes like that. And it was always fascinating for people to bring up like scenarios and just to listen to people how based on their personality, how they would a- approach and handle certain situations and things. And that actually taught me, um, actually that's, that's the reason why I love teams as opposed to like a singular pastor in a church. I don't know. I like perspective and other people's input on, on things. So cool, man. I'm excited for you. You're going to miss out on a trunk or treat though. Yeah. I'm missing trunk or treat, but that's how it is. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to Trunk or Treat, guys. I uh I pulled out my my Ghostbusters costume, started charging up my proton pack, and uh, I'm c- cutting up some cardboard to to make like the the Ghostbusters con- containment thing in the back of my car. And uh, we have a student. Um, I'll just say his first name. His name is Tommy. I'm gonna cover him in flour and give him a sailor's hat because I want to make him the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. I don't know if he knows them. Does he know oh, this? <laughs> no, he doesn't. So uh, I'm very excited to just shower him with flour that night's gonna be wet too so i think that'll be fun you know that student's uh, sister is our resident expert in making slime oh she is actually she did really good that night so So she can be slimer there you go yeah how you see it oh yeah and we're on to a different 80s fiction that's right lord give us strength (laughs) i I am excited though there are a lot of people putting together some uh, hard work and just putting together some interesting uh, trunks for for this weekend. We have some PlayStation themed ones. We have Peter Pan, I think, coming in as nice. well. Someone's doing just tie dye and pajama parties. Those are separate things. I guess you could do pajama tie dye. That'd be fun. So anyway, I, I'm just excited to see people in, engage with the community and stuff. So so yeah, very cool, very cool. It's gonna be it's gonna be good. Yeah. So anyway, are you guys ready to jump back into our our topic? We, uh, we started that series last, last week about systematic theology. Yep. Uh, Stephen, would you, would you mind asking Mike about, uh, about like just maybe a recap of what systematic theology hey, is? Hey, Mike, can we recap what systematic theology is for me? <laughs> Sorry. So to our listeners, we do like working in teams. There are moments we like more than others. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Like right now, for example. No, Mike, um, if you would recap that, though, I mean, just what systematic theology is. And uh, last week, I know that we talked about revelation, both general and special revelation. Just of- Yeah. So the, the big picture, if we're talking systematic theology, we're saying what what is the Bible as as a whole? If you take all the passages about a certain topic in, in, in the Bible and you pull them all out and you say, OK, what do we learn from all these together? And you systematize it. That is systematic theology. Mm-hmm. And so we began by talking about. Well, what what do we believe about the Bible itself? Mm-hmm. And it all ends up connecting back to God. But but the Bible we believe is God's revelation. And we talked about last week that it's actually His special revelation, uh, not His general revelation. And so if we just recap those terms, Stephen, you want to remind us of those? Absolutely. So general revelation is essentially God revealing Himself through creation itself, through just the very nature of existence, and everybody can see it. It's right there. It's not hidden. It's boom in your face so this is the idea of the guy on, on by himself on the desert island without a bible he can still see 
at least a glimpse of the nature of God through what God's made. But special revelation is where God has actually stepped into history and revealed his, his will, his word to humanity and has had people throughout history record that. And so people like Moses, people like the gospel authors, and we now have that as the Bible. That is God's special revelation of who he is and what he has done to humanity. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. And that's been recorded in the scripture. And so when we read it, we we know specifically about God things that we wouldn't know otherwise, right? Mm-hmm. Like we can understand some things about him in the the world he's made, but to really get to know him. Yeah. We, we, we go ahead. I actually used that illustration last week that if you were to sit in a coffee shop and you see someone across the way, uh, you can generally learn some things about that person by observing, just seeing them. But, to but really, until you go and ask her on a date, Andrew, yeah. there's, you know, you don't really know her. And so boys, I have some announcements for you. Oh yeah. I, I still haven't dated anyone in the last couple of weeks. So <laughs> sorry, I'm single. So, so that fits right into the nature of church announcements right there. They're the same every week. <laughs> but anyway, so general revelation is that idea of, of the observation. I'm just trying to encourage you, brother. I, I, I'm just I'm, trying to encourage you. I'm trying you. guys. Do you want I'm this episode to be about my to. love life? Let's do this. Let's. <laughs> So to go back to what we were saying, uh, just the illustration of like, you can get to know someone from afar. You can get general information about them, but God also reveals things specifically about who he is, what he's about, what, what he's like, and he's revealed information as to who humanity is in a very specific way. And that is recorded in the scriptures. Yeah. And so then today, if we were to kind of jump from there into today's topic, we're, we're moving it forward to say, okay, so God's revealed himself in these 66 letters, these 66 books in, in the scripture, and we have it in our hands today. How does something written all those years ago, how does it impact our lives now? And how, how, how are we even able to read it? Right? Because when the scripture was not written, when it was written, it was not written in English. It what? wasn't written in 21st century English. Right. Um, and so how, how do we, know what we hold in our hands today is reliable, that it actually is the word of God. And so I wanted to start by just kind of talking about that, the journey of the word of God from, from God in his revelation to us in our lives right now and, and some of how that works. And then I want to talk a little bit about why we have such confidence in, in the scripture beyond just being the word of God itself and, and claiming itself as the word of God, what other reason do we have for our faith in it? That's kind of the, the yeah. path I want to take today. So this, and from a very pragmatic standpoint, this is, this, this will answer the very uh, good questions. Like, how do we know, how, how do we know we can trust the Bible? Mm-hmm. If we're going to hang our hats on, on what the Bible says about us and God, like we, we need to know that we can trust it. So I, I'm excited for this. Yeah. It's really common. Um, I've had people tell me this, and I'm sure you guys have had similar conversations where someone says, well, I don't really believe in the Bible because it's been translated so many different times, mm-hmm. right? Or it's been, it's been um, messed with by men, right? And, mm-hmm. and that, that should be a concern. If that's the case, we, we need to be concerned. And so today's conversation, we're going to say, hey, that's actually not reality. And we have great confidence that the words we have are, are the, the pure words we talked about last week, that they, they've come from the Lord. And so if if we jump in this journey, and I think there's a, a, a document people can download also linked to this. Yeah, I'll have that linked in the description below. Yeah, and so if they wanted to look and find it, but if we start with this word revelation, 
Revelation, it's God showing us who he is. This is the the thoughts that are in God's mind. If we're talking about specific or special revelation, it's those thoughts being put in the, the human author's mind. They now are thinking what God wants them to think. This is what Peter talks about, how the authors are carried along by the spirit of God. And then this ends up being... Uh, turning into inspiration. And inspiration is when the thoughts that God has placed in the human's mind, they are now written down as the original manuscripts. The term is actually the autographs, right? You think about an autograph. Uh, I've got some baseball cards that are autographed, right? And uh, it's the author, someone signing signing it. When we think about autographs for the the scripture, we're thinking about the, the very first time the Apostle Paul wrote that letter to the Galatians, right? That that original copy that is called the autograph. Now, those autographs they end up being copied and reproduced, and we call all of those manuscripts. And so you have the autograph, and then you have the manuscript. And and what happens between autograph and manuscript? That's where people get a little nervous, right? Yeah. yeah. Because who knows? Someone maybe would have added some of their own commentary or mm-hmm. their own thoughts, or they might have changed something. And and if that were to happen, that that's like the the first grade game of telephone that you play, right? Yeah. When you got 30 kids sitting in a room and one kid whispers in one kid's ear like, hey, I'm going to McDonald's for some fries and a Big Mac. And by the time it gets around the other end, we're going to Domino's and for milkshakes. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like mm-hmm. it, we've lost the meaning and, and we want to make sure we have not lost the meaning. And that's a legitimate concern. Absolutely. But, but we're going through why why we have confidence. Like that's not the case with the manuscripts. Yep. Yep. Now these these manuscripts they, they were collected in different processes but or different times but that process is called canonization and the word canon it means rod or rule or measure it's mm-hmm. it's it's not us deciding what the word of God is but it's us uh, discovering what God has revealed as His word and we've actually talked about this if we, our right. listeners were go to that that episode on the apocrypha mm-hmm. we actually handle that fairly you know in depth I, we, we did yeah actually, not I'll link dive, that but yeah. to our description as well. So then we have canonization, which is the collection of the 66 books, not not the autographs, but just manuscripts of them, copies of them. And then these books have been, they've been translated. And so the Old Testament predominantly was written in what language? Hebrew. And the New Testament was written in? Predominantly Greek. Yes, right. And so you've got Hebrew and Greek, and most of us don't read Greek, and most of us don't read Hebrew. And so we have to have an English version, and that's called translation. And that's taking the best manuscripts we can find, and we'll talk about what makes a manuscript good or not in a moment. But that's taking the best manuscripts we can find and interpreting, or not interpreting, and translating them into the modern day language. And so you think about the King James Version, the 1611 Bible, right? Mm-hmm. Some folks will say that's the Bible Jesus used. That's, <laughs> that's a bad not joke. True at all. Yeah. Uh, they had a different language than we have today, mm-hmm. right? Very different language. Mm-hmm. And so, it, you know, I've seen people carrying around a King James Bible and not read it. They know it's important that they want to have a Bible, but then they go to read it and the, the language just does not make sense at all because it was 400, it's 400 year old language, right? And it's right. more than just these and thous, it's actually usage of words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we have modern day English translations and, and some of them have different functions. Mm-hmm. So at Valley, for the most part, we use the ESV. I really like the NASB for my own kind of study and reading, um, people that are new to the faith or young kids or young people, I'll, I'll recommend the, the New Living Translation mm-hmm. because it's really easy to understand and the language is more accessible. And so you think, okay, 
translation is getting the ancient words into our modern day language, right? Ancient ways for modern days. Right. Well, you see what I did there? And I think some people need to, I, I'm, I'm sure there are people listening right now and they're like, well, yeah, we can go into why like the ESV is different than the NLT and all these things like that. And I, just, just to remind people, we're just kind of going through a broad, uh, a broad look at how the process is between the original authors and, and to us. And I think maybe someday we might go into why we have so many different English translations, but um, just, yeah, we're just going through the general process right yeah. now. And I don't, how about I just say a couple of things to that really quick, just yeah. really broad, right? So you, you, you have different kinds of translations, but predominantly that there's a scale and there's kind of two sides of the scale. And one side of that scale is the, the word for word translation. That's when they mm-hmm. take a Greek word and they translate it into an English word, right? Like they, they go word for word. And then they have the more of the, the, uh, it's a fluid version, right? It's that they, t- they take a thought for a thought. Mm-hmm. And so it won't be the best for studying because you're going to find words in your thought for thought that might not even be in the Greek, but it, it does a little bit of an interpretation, right? Mm-hmm. And so the New Living Translation, it's it's a little bit of an interpretation in places because mm-hmm. it's trying to convey the idea rather than the actual word. Mm-hmm. That can be helpful, yep. right? Now, the reason we study out of the more word for word ones is because we want to be as accurate as possible to right. the the original language, right? That's, this is why we learn languages. This is why we study Greek and Hebrew so that we can actually set aside modern day translations because every translation is going to have at least a little bit of interpretation. Mm-hmm. And we're going to say, okay, what is, what is the actual word in, in its original language? Hopefully I didn't go too far into that but no i think that makes sense what, what you just said is like, yeah there's just a spectrum of basically it's thought for thought word for word and bibles just kind of fit into that spectrum of where, where they're at and honestly um when, when people ask like what, what you just said like children i think it's more important that people are still getting the thoughts of the bible and so sometimes we the nlt is a good place to start but I, what i find is that as people get hungrier for the word and they want to do independent study they do want to start to to take it apart themselves it's kind of the difference between uh, uh i don't know like a home-cooked meal and cooking like hiring a chef to to prepare it for you versus you learning to cook a meal yourself and then getting into the nitty-gritty and so there's benefits to both yeah and um there's there's no shame honestly in in whatever translation you read that, as long as it's a a, a genuine like translation yes because there are some uh d- cults out there that have their own versions of the bible that's true so yeah so again big picture revelation thoughts in god's mind into the human author's mind then you have the inspiration the human author writing it down into the original uh autographs or the manuscripts and then you have canonization is the collection of and the the recognition of these books they, they have something about them that, that has led us to believe they're from God himself. And then you have translation. So the taking those, those ancient languages and translating them into modern English versions, and then you have interpretation. And so this is when you take the modern English version. So whatever it is you're reading, and then you read it and then it becomes the thoughts in your mind. And so you're interpreting as you read it. Well, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. What, 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 what does this want me to think about? What is, how is this trying to change the way I think or the way I process or my worldview, my perspective on living, on belief, on God, on myself. And so that's, that's interpretation. And we all do that as we read the scripture and then hopefully interpretation falls into or, or leads into application. So the, the purpose of all Bible study is application. We're not just trying to say, hey, I want to read this so that I'm smarter or mm-hmm. I read this so I can, you know, beat someone in a theological argument. The purpose of all Bible study, it has to be application. And so this is taking the thoughts that are in our mind and now 
our, our lives begin to change. And so we begin to, from the inside out, have the character of Christ more and more and exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. We get to have the priorities of God more and more in the way we live and our actions and our attitudes. And so from application, that's actually not the very end result. Application is meant to be our lives being changed and then hopefully our lives being changed ends up into communicating that with other people. Mm -hmm. And so this happens as we teach within the church. So Stephen, you read the Bible, God puts something in in your heart, in your mind, he's transforming you, he changes you, and then you start to talk to your wife about that. And as Lachlan gets older, you start to teach him those truths. And the same thing in our church, like when we gather for worship or for our small group or for youth group or, or kids ministry, all of these opportunities where we're teaching the scripture, we're helping people apply it so that, that it can be communicated within the church. But, but not just within the church, because mm-hmm. one of the greatest applications is outside of the church when we end up sharing our faith. And so what, what I want us to see is God, he reveals himself all the way back with those authors of the scripture. And that is meant to have this ripple effect, not just to your life right now, so you can have a, a warm fuzzy in your devotions. That ripple effect extends beyond you into the life, especially of the non-believer, right. as they get to know that this God who they look out and they, they see, I mean, we just talked about the windstorm. They see the wind just blowing the trees. And we have Andrew over here nervous that the tree's gonna fall on his house. And, and we, right. we, we have this moment, okay, there is a God, mm-hmm. but you can actually know him more than just in creation. You can know him by, by knowing his son, Jesus, through his death and resurrection, by trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so that's, you know, that's like this thread from all the way back when God reveals himself to our lives right now and, and the significance it has in our lives even today. I think what you just said is beautiful because it reminds us that like when we approach scripture, because it's so special as a special revelation, as, as the original author has received the revelation of God and it's gone through this entire process that you just mentioned to be, to be, you know, applied in our lives and communicated to others that the heart behind it is about knowing God because he wants to be known. It's not about reading the the words so that we can argue other people with our other people and to win theological debates but it's so that we would know and thus glorify the one true creator. Yeah. And we want right theology. We want right theology oh, yeah. to result in right living, mm-hmm. right? You know, orthodoxy results in what? Orthopraxy, like the, the right living. So I'm, I, I'm not just orthodox in my right believing, but, I, but I'm orthodox in, in the way I'm actually living my life. I'm mm-hmm. becoming more like Christ. I'm not perfect. But, but I'm, I'm being transformed, I'm being changed, and right. it's having an impact on other people. Mm-hmm. And the more you engage with the word, and as, the more you know it, it's, that's when you experience God, the one true God. That's, what I, that's why I think theology is so important to me, because when you have the wrong theology, when you have a wrong thought process, it actually leads you down a path of curse and, uh, and, and brokenness. Um, it, it, it becomes a burden. In, in so many ways, and yet God wants to reveal his righteousness, his goodness in, his, in our lives. So we need to know truly who God is through his special revelation, that is the word of God. Yeah. And, and having faith in that, you know, I, we're talking about right faith, right? Believing in uh, just this last weekend, we talked about how we minister to people, you know, and the message was on how together we keep each other on track. But I really, I've been just hung up on Jesus's phrase in Matthew, oh, you of little faith. Mm-hmm. And, and I've just been, it's been in my mind every day. It's been in my mind in every conversation because that, 
in the message, we, we talk, message I ended up talking about how that's a, a call to have a greater faith. That's a call to trust this God. And, and who is this God? He's the one that reveals himself in creation. He's, he's the one that's revealed himself in his word. He's the one that's revealed himself in the sun, right? Like, and, uh, and to trust that he loves us and he cares for us and he's saved us. And that has an impact on all of our life. And that's I don't know, my, uh, I guess my, my rabbit trail right now, but I, I'm just amazed by this call to trust him, yeah. to trust him. So, so Mike, speaking of trust, then you just outlined a very large process from how the original authors of the Bible through God's inspiration and revelation, how that, that gets communicated to us. And we did kind of touch on, there are, there are a couple areas where I think someone who's thinking through it and looking at this could say like, well, I mean, here's where we could go wrong. How, how then can we know that we can trust the Bible, that, that, that the process hasn't been fouled up somewhere along the way? Right. And this is a, this is a great conversation. Historians, they, they kind of approach this question and they say, okay, if we're looking at an ancient text, how do we know this is legitimately what the, the ancient author wrote? And, and historians have three kind of key criteria that they look at. They say, okay, let me, let me measure it with these criteria. And that gives me some indication on whether or not I can trust it. And so the first one is, are there a lot of manuscripts available? You think about it. If you've got one manuscript and you say, this is written a thousand years ago Mm -hmm. and you better just trust that this is right. And you're like that. Okay. One manuscript. That's maybe a lot, maybe not a lot. I don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they say, are there a lot of manuscripts? The second criteria is the time interval between the date of the original writings and the date that that manuscript was written, right? And so... So that's making a distinction between the autographs and the manuscripts then. Mm-hmm. And, and how long of that time? And so if, if, I, if I wrote a note uh, 20 years ago and I had it copied um, every year um, multiple times and you had a copy of it from this last year, and you had a copy of it from the very first year was copied, mm-hmm. you'd probably have more confidence in that first year yeah. because it was right next to when it was mm-hmm. it's that telephone game. It's, it's, is it the first person in line mm-hmm. hearing it or, or, or hearing the message relayed or is it the 20th person in line? Right. Mm-hmm. And so this is the second criteria. The third one then is, is the quality of those manuscripts. And so are they legible? <laughs> um, are they just, you know, are they, frail and falling apart? Can you not read them? Are they difficult to understand? You know, that are they high quality? Okay. And so when you take these and you apply these to the old Testament manuscripts that were copied, um, most, uh, historians, they say, okay, when we look at the old Testament manuscripts, we look at the, the quality of them. They see a, a great level of quality. See these old Testament manuscripts, they were, they were replicated with exact, specifications and standards they had incredibly high standards and so that actually so that reinforces the idea of the quantity of manuscripts then too because if you have like a hundred really high quality manuscripts that all say the same thing that kind of shows some credibility there yeah yeah okay so they you know the when they would copy a scroll is what they were. It wasn't like a book today, but it was a scroll. When they would copy it, they would, they would map, they would compare first and last letter of each line, uh, top and bottom as well. They would measure across and sideways. They, they would do all of these measurements to make sure it was the exact standard. Mm-hmm. And because they, they had such a high, um, I guess, value of it being exact. If there was an error, it would be tossed. 
right? So imagine being someone, a scribe, copying this thing, making an error and be like, oh, it's not backspace. It's goodbye, start over. Mm -hmm. That's how important. Because remember, these scribes, they believed, they knew they were copying the words of God. And so that's why it was so important to be so perfect. But the same side of that is because they were so, they valued quality so highly they looked at a brand new manuscript as of equal value as an old one. And so oftentimes an old one would be destroyed because they would say, we, we've made a new one. This, this other one's getting old. And so we're going to destroy it because now we have a perfect replacement. And so with the Old Testament, we don't have as many manuscripts, but we do have incredibly high quality of manuscripts. Mm-hmm. So that actually makes me think real quick about your previous analogy. You, you had an image of like you wrote down a note or like say you wrote somebody a letter or something along those lines. And then every year you had it copied. And so you had somebody copy it by hand year after year after year. But then like if you had every year that note was destroyed, you wouldn't necessarily have the ability to know how reliable your current copy is. So then this brings up to to mind a event from history where we actually found some older copies of the notes, so to speak. Um, Those, those are what, what are generally known as the dead sea scrolls. And I know that you have some notes on that. Would you care to speak into it? Yeah. So, um, 1947 was, was a historic year, right? Because before that, the, the, um, the oldest manuscript we had of Old Testament, you know, the Old Testament scriptures, it was from the ninth century. So AD, like after Christ was born. So we had not really speaking, not, not really old, right? Rather recent if, if we understand the way time works through history. But with the Dead Sea Scrolls, they, they discovered in the Qumran community, you mentioned Stephen, all of these scrolls that had been preserved and they dated back to about a hundred years before Jesus was born. So that's like 800 years more recent or to, to the events. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that gap is about a thousand years, right? So, and, and so we look at those scrolls that we had from the ninth century to those scrolls that we had for the before, you know, 100 BC and they match to 95% accuracy, right? And so there is such a high level of accuracy and that gives us a great level of confidence that the the copying of these scrolls, that it was, it was exact. It was almost perfect. And so what we do then is we say, okay, because we have such a high level of quality of these, we, we actually have a high confidence that the Old Testament scripture reliably is the, the words of God. Right. And so that's how, that's how we look at the old Testament, the new Testament, we look a little differently. So the old Testament, we think quality, the new Testament, we actually think the word quantity, right? That's what I was thinking. Yep. And so quantity is, is the number of manuscripts that we have. And there, there are a ton of manuscripts. If you were just to do a a comparison of ancient writings and say, okay, based on these ancient writings and the number of manuscripts we have from the new Testament time period, um, and how close these manuscripts are to the original writings. And you were to take some of his, history's greatest kind of writings and just do some care comparison. Here's what you would find. You'd find that, that Caesar's Ga- Gaelic Wars, uh, they were written about 100 years before Christ was born, maybe all the way up to 44 years before Christ was born. And the earliest copy that we have of those is, is AD 900. That's a time span of 1,000 years. And we have 10 copies 
And so historians look at that and they actually know about these wars. They base their understanding of these wars on these 10 manuscripts that they have saying, we, we believe we know what the happened in these wars because of these 10 manuscripts. So based off of just 10 copies of a note, we actually base our history books. Yep. Just 10. Like I could lay them out on, on the table. And that's yep. it. And then you got, you know, you look at... um. Homer, you can think of his works like the Iliad and the Odyssey. Right. We, we have greater sources there, right? And so the number of ancient copies we have there, there's 643 of those. They don't have a time period span of a thousand years, but of 500 years from the original writing. And so we look at that, we have even more confidence. Okay, this is what was actually written. We can trust this is the, the, the words of Homer, right? And so you kind of see that, okay... We have more confidence in that than even we have in, in Caesar's uh, writings. But then you get to the New Testament authors. For the New Testament authors, these books were, or these letters or books, they were written somewhere between 40 and 100 AD, right? And so you think Jesus's life and then shortly after Jesus's life until about 100 AD, the turn of the first century, right? And the earliest copies we have are within 25 years of the original writing. 25 years, That's not a thousand, not 500, but within 25 years and the number of copies we said, we said quality, not, or we said quantity, not quality. The number of copies, instead of having 10 copies or instead of having 643 copies, there are over 24,000 copies, almost 25,000 copies of these new Testament writings. And so you look at this and if you've got a scale and the scale is reliability or confidence based on number of of manuscripts in their time period they were written. When we look at the New Testament scriptures, we have such a high level or a high degree of confidence based on the number of and, and the time period that they were written. Does that make sense? For me, it does. Yeah. Andrew? Yeah. 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 Uh, I caught him off guard. No. So for me, if I'm putting this into just like Stephen's practical mindset, um, the, the Caesar Gallic Wars, it's like that's that stuff. If we were to think of what happened a thousand years ago and only having 10 copies of what happened, that's that's kind of sketchy. There's not a whole lot of reliability, but we think, historically speaking, that's really reliable. But then you were talking about Homer with having a 500-year gap. I think of what happened 500 years ago. We learn about, you know, Christopher Columbus. And if you had 600 copies of Columbus's journal or something along those lines, you could say, hey, yeah, we were pretty confident that these were the writings of Columbus. But no, you get to the New Testament. This is stuff that happened when I was in, like— elementary school right so it's only a 25 year span we're talking about stuff that happened when i was in kindergarten essentially if we're putting this into practical application yeah, time modern day kind of equivalency and so if i had twenty four thousand copies of a project that i did in kindergarten that had been faithfully reproduced we would have pretty high confidence that steven couldn't draw in kindergarten that would be a lot of crayons yeah. right so it's just Putting it into my own perspective, there is a ludicrous amount of confidence that we can have in the New Testament. And the idea of confidence is that if we can sit confidently in our history classes and say, hey, based on historical criteria, based on what the academics say and, and the their own criteria of how we know something happened in history, uh, what we have from, from Scripture meets that criteria. It, it, it more than just meets it. It, it raises almost like it, it's overwhelmingly confidence or confidence can be found in it. And in all of those manuscripts, there are some variants. There, there are some things that are different, right? But of, of all of the words, there's only 400 words in all of the new Testament that are in question. And that's a point 
0.05% um, of, of all the words in the New Testament, right? Mm-hmm. And these words, they, they offer no doctrinal changes. The, there's nothing significant that's affected by them. And so even in that, even if in that meaning, that gives us an incredible amount of confidence, right? Because we say, okay, now we, we know that with great level of confidence, the, these words haven't changed. Uh, like we said last week, the words of the Lord are pure words, That's right? right? And so we have this great, um, not just confidence, but hope now, because we actually can read the very word of God. So Mike, you, you've done a great job of just kind of going over the idea of how we know we can be confident in the word of God, right? Because we, we started off with the idea that God has generally revealed himself, that we can know that there is a God just based on the creation around us. And we've gone into the idea that God doesn't want to just be known as in, as in like he just exists, but he wants to be known intimately. And so he revealed himself in a very specific way that we, we call that special revelation. And that has been captured in the Bible. Now, I mean, we've spent the majority of this session going over how we know we can trust that what is recorded in the Bible is historically accurate. And thus it can give us true and proper glimpses into the character, the heart, and and I guess the attributes of, of God himself. So you, you've done a great job, honestly, because it, for people who are listening to this, this these, these answer the questions of those people who say, like, you know, how do I know I can trust the Bible? Because there are people who are looking for any reason to, to not believe, but really for the individual, for the, for the seeker, or for the, for the person who craves knowing God. I think they can listen to this and know and feel confident that they can truly know the God of the universe through the words of scripture. So, so thank you for that, Mike. And, and Stephen, do you have any thoughts, I guess, on, as, as, as we start to wind down, I guess, you, you think, is it, if I, am I missing something of what we just covered? For me, this is also, if you find yourself examining a church's teachings and you you look at scripture and that church's teachings are deviating from what scripture says you can actually have a higher confidence in scripture because i mean we're we're people we're fallible we we sin right but the words of god have endured over millennia literally thousands of years and so when you use the scripture to hold a church accountable and then correct that teaching you can actually have a very high degree of confidence that 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 church believes the word of god it, does that make sense or am i saying things that are just yeah yeah that that makes sense to me i uh I, I just, I hope, well, yeah, it makes sense. So I guess to me, it's just simply saying that not only do I recognize that this is the word of God, but that it is being practically applied now. Guys, thank you so much for your time. Stephen, actually, uh, would, you, would you pray for our listeners? Man, I honestly, as we come to a close, I um, I hope and I pray that people are, are inspired to, to read their Bibles, honestly, to to have hearts ready to encounter our maker. Absolutely. Let's pray, everybody. Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the ways that you have inspired the writers of the original uh, autographs, Lord, that that you have poured out your spirit and you've revealed yourself to us. Lord, we thank you that you, through the faithful work of people generation after generation, have preserved 
your scripture and that we today can look at it and have confidence that we can know you, the living God. Lord, I pray for each of our hearts, both here and for anybody listening, God, that we would just have a hunger to know you and be driven not towards ourselves or modern philosophy, but to the words that you have revealed, to the Bible itself, God. Be with us and continue to shape us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Ancient Ways for Modern Days, a ministry of Valley Christian Fellowship. If you'd like to check out more resources or even connect with us, go to vcflongview.org.